You gonna work on that thing? Yeah, let's do it. Let's get it. Now I have the time of my life. Welcome to Talking Giants, brought to you by Coverage Gear. I'm your host, Bobby Skinner, here with my co-host, Justin Pennick. We've got Dan Snyder on the show. He covers the Giants. He does his own Giants podcast, Big Blue Banter. He does a lot of good Giants work. So we did a good 45 minutes with him. We bled the draft out. This will be the last time we talk about the 2020 draft, because we have bled as much draft content as we can get out of it. Justin, the Giants hired an offensive quality control coach. But the biggest news has to be Eli Manning joined friggin' Twitter, Justin. And my man has 285,000 followers at the time of recording this. I love it. I'm scared of it. I don't know what to think of it, but I'm I'm embracing it. I think he's going to kind of continue it. I think we you had the thought of he's going to have it's going to be a little bit of corniness to start off and then he might get bored of it, but I really think that he's going to embrace it. License plate guy. I actually went back to our license plate guy interview, and one of the things that I asked him was like so, giant superlatives. And uh, most likely to be a stand up comedian was one of those things that I asked LPG, and he immediately said Eli Manning. And then I gave kind of pushback to say, well, he wouldn't really be a stand up comedian because of it. he's just like shy in nature. But Eli Manning's kind of showing it. His Twitter has been gold. Uh, my favorite tweet of his, of his so far. And this is when I think Peyton Manning and Tiger Woods were starting to come back in like in like that match that they had with uh, Mickelson and Brady. He just tweeted out this gif, and it was so funny. Somebody's closer. So that was the best Eli Manning tweet that he's had so far, in my opinion. Which is a great clip from a great movie. Um, if you haven't seen Happy Gilmore, go check it out. I have a feeling most of our listeners have younger ones. Go check out Happy Gilmore. Yeah, he had a had a couple of funny ones. You know, the you know if it was going to take any longer, I was going to join TikTok, which <laughs> I actually think Eli would probably be better at TikTok than he would Twitter. Listen, it's corny, but it's whatever. You know, it's Eli being Eli. Uh, it's cool to have him on there. We're going to defend him to the death on there because there's going to be people making jokes. But I, I, it's it's fun to have him on there. But like you said, I thought it was going to be like once a month. I thought it was going to be like Daniel Jones to, like Twitter. And maybe it does turn into that eventually. But my man is tweeting out everything. He's tweeting out his thoughts on Memorial Day. He's making fun of Sean O'Hara. I saw Kevin Booth. He, he gave <laughs> yeah. Kevin Booth some love, which Kevin Booth is someone I do follow. And someone I've tried to contact who only had like a thousand something followers at the time. Let's see. Where is Kevin Booth? Like last time I checked, Kevin Booth had like 1,400 followers. Today he's at also like Eli Manning. Eli Manning is following like fifteen people now. I I can imagine he's going to be following more and more people as time goes on. But Kevin Booth was one of the first fifteen, <laughs> which yeah. is crazy. It, I think he's just following them as he comes into his timeline. He's got Shep, yeah. Cruz, Kevin Booth, Saquon, 
Frank's Red Hot tweets some heat. That was the ad. Michael Strahan, Sean O'Hara, Robin Hood, the University of Mississippi Medical Center, which is weird. They're like, why? Like, that's March of Dimes, which I like because it's like Daniel Dimes. Danny Dimes, tackle kids cancer, guiding eyes, Ole Miss, Ole Miss athletics, Ole Miss football, NFL, and Giants. Ole Miss football had to get a bump because I wasn't following them until until the other day. I am now a follower of all Ole Miss football. Yes. Did you watch any of that golf uh, event? I didn't. Um, I had some, you know, Memorial Day weekend, so I had some plans. But I didn't watch it. Did you watch any of it? I watched the tail end of it. That's, that's it. I, I had kind of zero interest in it. Eli Manning made me want to watch it. He made me feel like I was missing out on it. Eli live tweeting it was probably just as good. Actually, no, Tom Brady did rip his pants. So if that would have alone just made it would have been worth it. I just heard in. that Brady was down big and then had a comeback. Oh, but Peyton wound up winning, though, which is good. That makes me happy. It sounds so boring, honestly. Because <laughs> um, it's yeah, golf. So. It's it's golf. Like, honestly, and I think Mad Dog had, like, a pretty epic 12-minute rant. But it's like, okay, we're taking things a little too far just because it's quarantine and nothing's going on. But Mad Dog had a pretty nice rant a couple weeks back when, I guess, this event was announced. Where he's like, I don't want to see these guys golfing. I don't want to see it. I want to see them on a football field with wide receivers explaining r- routes and all that. And I'm like, all right, calm down, Mad Dog. But <laughs> anyway, that like that he's kind of right where that would be more entertaining. But here we are. But it's like we can't do that right now. Yeah, we can't do that. <laughs> but I will say New York is opening up for professional sports, which means New Jersey should follow suit, which means mm-hmm. I believe I don't when are the next scheduled OTAs? Whenever those are, I believe every NFL team will be together doing those. I think they're they're that didn't happen randomly. That was on purpose because I think these NFL teams were, were like, hey, we're be- we're not behind right now, but if we miss these next things, we will be behind. So I do believe the Giants will be together for their next OTAs. So there's that. And they'll be in Jersey, which that's important too because there was talk about like, you know, oh, could they go here? Could they go there? Could they leave New Jersey and go somewhere else? I think it's important to know, especially if New Jersey's looking up post-Memorial Day weekend, um, they'll be in Jersey, which is cool. I was hoping they'd come down to Florida and, you know, be with me and the whole NBA playoffs in Orlando. I could break <laughs> in. Um, it was, was going to be a fun time. But anyways, before we kick it to the interview, the Giants hired offensive quality control coach, which basically is like a, a beginner's job. You know, you're breaking down film. You know, you're part of practices, but you're not like you're not teaching a position. You're more just helping out on the side. Nick Williams. Justin, he was a wide receiver for Alabama from 2009 to 2012. Joe Judge was there from 2009 to 2011 with him. So that's where they kind of have some uh, relationship. He was a grad assistant at Valdosta State in 2013. Then he got a wide receiver coaching job with Jacksonville State from 2014 to 16. And then upgraded to Southern Illinois in that same position from 2017 to 19. Joins the Giants now as a you know offensive quality control, very beginner role. Um, also, another relationship he has with Joe Judge, his father, Bobby Williams, was the special teams coach and tight ends coach at Alabama so, uh, from 2008 to 2015. So was Joe Judge was directly underneath him. He's now the uh, the Oregon off, uh, special teams coordinator and tight ends coach. He was an NFL wide receiver running back. Not going to give much like, oh, like, what does this mean? And Judge uh, nepotism. It's it's a it's a beginner's job, you know what I'm saying. So I I don't I don't think there's much analysis, but I did want to put the information out there. You got to start somewhere. Welcome to Big Blue, Nick Williams. 
Happy to yeah. have you. Come on the show, Nick Williams. There is one coach that follows me. Should I? We should we try and get him on the show? I feel like it's going to be a big fat no, but should we try? You know what? The worst somebody could say is no. I want the listeners to tell me because I'm very like slow to ask people to come on because I don't want I don't want people to say no. I'm afraid of people saying no. That's my one of my biggest issues in life. Justin is I just kind of like I'll just do it myself. I don't feel like asking someone and then not wanting to do it. You're also more afraid of them just standing you up or canceling last minute. Yeah, that could happen too. Hey, but you want to know who didn't do that? Dan Schneider didn't do that. Daniel <laughs> Schneider, not Dan Schneider, the Redskins owner. Dan Schneider. So we're going to kick it to that. But, Justin, before that, guess what? Guess what? We got ourselves a friggin' ad. We have an ad on Talking Giants. It's been a while since we've had an ad. It's been since, like, this season. And Justin, the ad today is CoverageGear.com. Coverage Gear. Man, these guys make all kinds of cool hats, uh, like stickers and stuff. Justin, I have a hat. They do like very subtle hats. Like there's like, I have one that's a Daniel Jones hat, and it's just the blue with the eight, the numbering. And then it's got Jones on the back. I got a Jason Kidd one from the New Jersey Nets days. I'm a big time New Jersey Nets fan. And Justin, if you go on their website right now, not later. Do it right now. Get on it right now. You're, you're coming off Memorial Day. You're getting ready to listen to this interview. Go to it right now for 20% off with the code John Boy. Not John Boy like a John Boat. John Boy. J-O-M-B-O-Y. That's John Boy. J-O-M-B-O-Y for 20% off. 20. 20. 20. That's Julian Love's new number. 20. 20% off. Ooh. Go get yourself a nice little hat. They got the Lawrence Taylor one on there. They got an Eli Saquon. They got all kinds of giant stuff. If you're, they do a lot of baseball stuff. If you're a Yankees Mets fan, go check that out. I mean, like I said, I have my Jason Kidd one on there. If you're a new age Nets fan, you get your KD, Kyrie kind of stuff. I, I even think they have D'Angelo Russell for the people who are still butthurt about that. So go check it out. John Boy, <laughs> 20% off. Now here's Dan Snyder. Come on, pay attention in there. Let's go. We got a beautiful day. Work. Play fast, play fast. Whoa. Ah. All right, we now welcome on to the program again. One of our best guests. I think he was the biggest download number at the time. It was a big jump for us. Huge thank you, Dan. We got Dan Snyder of Big Blue Banter, CBS Sports. Dan, what's going on, my man? What's up, Bobby? Happy to be here again. That was really fun the last time we did it. It had been a while. Um, so happy to jump back on the podcast and I was also happy and excited to see uh actually check this out maybe yesterday I knew we were doing the podcast tonight I was happy to check out iTunes and see how many uh ratings and reviews you guys have it looks like you guys have really picked up um similar to our podcast we're, we're actually very similar numbers there so it seems like the same type of diehard fan uh is interested in both of our podcasts which is pretty much to be expected from my end because I don't really see too many other podcasts besides our two podcast diving into the x's and o's of the of football and that side of things at least not from what i've seen and from what i've heard so i'm happy to see that more people are picking up on it and you know i know there's an audience for what we provide this type of analysis and i think it's all just kind of about finding that uh, you know i'm not necessarily finding that audience bobby but having people find out that hey there is content like this out there and they can find it easily so i'm happy to see that your podcast is picking up that's a long way to say that well, I appreciate it. I will say, you know, most of those reviews are genuine. We did give away some stickers for 
I don't know, probably probably 30 of those we cheated for, we gave away free stuff for, but I do appreciate it. Um, anyway, I would say, like, you know, I love, uh, I think Falado was a huge addition to you. You know, he came on uh, with us, and, you know, people really like him. And one of the things we try and struggle with is, you know, obviously we do film and stuff like that, but also, like, it's hard to really translate to a podcast, and I think you guys do an awesome job of that. And I think that's why, uh, you know, we were attracted to you guys originally. So it's been, uh, it's good to have you on. How, how's quarantine treating you? I know it's probably, you know, a little crazier for you up there than it is me down here in Florida. Yeah, I'm kind of getting sick of it, but it is what it is. We all got to do it. Um, so it is what it is. I'm trying to make the most of it, picking up little hobbies here and there um, to try to occupy my time and my mind. It was a lot better before the draft because there was so much work to do. And now it seems like it's a little bit worse. Yeah, yeah, I know the you know pre-draft it didn't really change much for us because it's right. just like nonstop stuff. And then the two weeks after, and then you know last week I finished all three seasons of Ozarks in like like seven eight days. So it's nice. nice it's, it's nice to have a little bit of downtime. I just finished that last season too. Yeah, it's pretty exciting. Uh, I, I liked I like it, it a lot until the end, and then I love the ending. But like the last couple episodes, I didn't really like the the, the brother storyline with Ben. I thought it was a little bit. Like kind of stupid and unbelievable, but besides that, it was good. Yeah, there's some laugh out loud moments. Like, come on, like Granny's doing heroin and no one's noticing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the shotgun. Like, yeah. So we'll we'll jump right into it though. Uh, the draft is over, and you know you're someone who we love to hear what your thoughts are on guys. But I'll I'll leave it open ended to start. Um, or 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 uh, the start. I'll st- I'll start with Xavier McKinney. Uh. What do you see them using with him? Like, or how they, how do you see them using him? Because I'm so fascinated with McKinney. Um, I see, you know, the Dolphins ran two highs, single high. So there's no really like set thing that Patrick Graham does. I mean, where do you see McKinney fitting in with the Giants? Yeah. I mean, McKinney's a really interesting pick, I think, that they made because when it first happened, I really hadn't considered him in the pre draft process enough because I just, I was so set that. He was actually going to go at 17 to the Cowboys. That's the spot I was convinced he was going to go based on some things I was hearing and how much sense it made. And at worst, I thought he would go in the first round. So I didn't really consider him as much. I had my eye on two safeties, and that was Ashton Davis out of Cal and Antoine Winfield Jr. out of Minnesota. And those guys, to me, especially Davis, had something the Giants haven't had in years, which is incredible range from the deep half. And I believe that's a unicorn trait you rarely find at the NFL level. And I believe it can really alter defense. Having said that, it's not the be-all, end-all of the safety position. And after evaluate, and, and obviously after coming to terms with the fact that none of those players are going to be safeties for the Giants, and they got a player who I thought was going to go in the first round in, in, in Xavier McKinney in the second round, I started to understand that in my mind, as I look back at this Bobby and Justin, I actually think what McKinney will bring to this def- to this specific defense with Patrick Graham is probably more important than having a safety with that unicorn trait. Because no, I do not think McKinney has that unicorn stop trait, uh, you know, deep half range. But having said that, he can play the deep half. He can play a lot of different positions. And I think that's what's most exciting about him because Patrick Graham's defense, you brought it up in the intro here. Patrick Graham's defense is going to utilize, there's two main core concepts, and that's a lot of man coverage and a lot of blitzing. We know that. Miami, I think, was third most blitzes uh, last year on third downs and seventh most on all downs. They used man coverage more than anybody but the Patriots and the Lions who have similar systems there. So we're going to see a lot of man. We're going to see a lot of blitzing. But 
What's key, another key tenet about his defense is that he uses different players in different roles, and it's not necessarily one player in one role for one game, one week, or three weeks in a row, anything like that. It's different players in different roles based on the down and difference every single week. And McKinney can play the slot. He can play the deep half. And he can play in the box. And you, you watch some of him and you see these crazy plays where he's in the box beating guards to, to get pressure on quarterbacks or, you know, making stops, being that alley defender that we saw from Jabril Peppers last year. A wildly underrated trait, wildly underrated, I should say, um, not trait, or wildly underrated factor in any defense is that safety you can come up and be an alley defender and kind of make sure those run plays don't bust for big plays. And he can do that too, McKinney. So for me, he just brings so much versatility and that's the name of the game in this defense. Yeah. And like you, like you, man, I was, I know you loved Ashton Davis. I liked him a lot too. I had uh, Winfield above him. I, I fell in love with Winfield throughout the process. And really, like you said, I didn't take McKinney as an option until after the first round was over and he was still available. It's like, okay, I guess I got to spend today watching him a little bit. Now, like you said, there's a lot of versatility. Uh, he can play some deep half, but he also isn't like the fastest guy in the world. Do you think Peppers can play some of that free safety role? I know he did it a little bit in Cleveland. I mean, I think he's got the speed. I mean, do you do you think there's a chance that Peppers ends up in that free spot and McKinney's the one who's playing up, up more uh, up? Without a doubt, Bobby. I think not only did you mention that he did it in Cleveland, and he did it well in Cleveland, especially the second year when they stopped using him 30 yards off the ball in the deep half. Um, but he also did it a little bit with the Giants last year. It wasn't as much because just out of need, they couldn't really they needed him to be that alley defender. There really wasn't anyone else to play that role. They didn't really trust Bethay in that role. So out of necessity, he wasn't used in that role last year as much. But I think he can certainly play that role. And I think there's going to be a lot of times where he is, especially when especially if McKinney is as good as I think he can be uh, in the slot, defending big tight ends and big slots. If that's the case, then they're going to need Peppers to play a little bit more that deep half. And I still wouldn't rule out Julian Love in that deep half, too. There hasn't you know, there's not much to go with there. He played it a little bit more extensively in that Bears game last season. But, you know, most of his snaps didn't come there. But I wouldn't completely rule it out because he's a smart guy and he's learning that role basically from scratch. He didn't really play it at all at Notre Dame. And if he can just give them some of those snaps when McKinney's down in the slot or when Peppers is is not in that deep half, then they got three guys that they can trust to play that role given different down and distance situations. Dan, first off, it's great to have you on. Uh, it's nice talking with you again. Uh, you were talking about Patrick Graham's defense and some of those stats that you brought up about you know, uh, his ranking in terms of when, how often he's blitzing. That's something that excites me. But we were promised a village with James Betcher. You know, one of those years, he had a 47% blitzing percentage uh, back in Arizona. So we were promised a village. And then what we got when he actually came to New York, he wasn't aggressive enough. Uh, and that was really disappointing. So we're seeing a lot of these things on film with, you know, how, how uh, Graham can do some exciting things pre-snap with a lot, of these different, uh, a lot of these different pieces in Miami and what he was able to do. So... Is the hype real? <laughs> That's basically my question about Patrick Graham's defense, about those stats. Is the hype real? Can we expect those things that we saw that he did in Miami? Can we expect that in New York? Yeah, I think it's a great question. I think you guys actually did an excellent job kind of uncovering what you just said. Well, Betcher was, you know, we were promised with Betcher that the Giants were going to be a very blitz-heavy team. We never actually really saw that. And I think a lot of the reason there is simply because they – he didn't feel like they had the personnel to be, to be able to do that. And whether that's true or not is not my call to make. I won't make that decision. But what I will say is this, Justin and Bobby, 
He didn't uh, last year with Miami's defense. Patrick Graham didn't really have the personnel to blitz like he was doing, and to play the amount of man coverage behind those blitzes like he was doing, and he did it anyway because he believed in that concept of putting the pressure on there. And I think because of that situation alone, because of what I saw in Miami from Graham, I really do believe that he's going to carry that over. Because in my opinion, the Giants have better personnel this year in 2020, with or without Baker, hopefully with him, even without him, though, than Miami had on the defensive side of the ball last season. So I don't see any reason why that would change. And I also think that, you know, it's a di- there's a lot of different look, different blitz looks, things of that nature that you might see from Graham that you might not have seen from Betcher just, be- just because of the, this, the changeover. And, but overall, it's just the same similar concepts. It's the idea of blitzing from the A-gap, peppering the A-gap, and then just use it, utilizing different t- styles of blitzes I mean, he's even a guy who use who utilizes cover zero blitz a lot. That's not something you see a lot. Yeah, and he utilized the cover zero blitz 28 times last season, seventh most in the NFL. And that's something obviously a lot of Giants fans know about from even any Giants fan who watched the Giants during the 2000 Super Bowl probably knows about the cover zero blitz, the play that Belichick or whoever was coordinating the, the Patriots defense at the time called when they threw the touchdown pass to Plaxico Burris. And Eli Manning read that and put that ball up there. But it can work if it's timed correctly. And I've, and and from what I've seen from Graham, he's done a really good job of using it about two times a game in the right spots to get pressure. So I think you'll see more blitzing, and I think you'll see different kind of blitzing from Graham than you saw from Badger. That's really awesome insight because I feel like especially taking McKinney and not just taking a guy who's solely a free safety like a Davis, like a Winfield, that's honestly awesome insight because with that McKinney pick – the huge question mark is, well, what are they doing? What the heck are they doing on the defensive side of the ball where every rose has its thorn? The rose is that McKinney can do so many valuable things, but the thorn is that you know now we need to find a way to insert who can actually be like a single high guy, and there's ways to do it, and that's actually kind of exciting to hear. That Peppers can do it, McKinney can do it, even Love can do it. So I kind of want to jump back to the draft here. I feel like everyone who spends a lot of time investing and looking at prospects, envisioning them in schemes and such, they develop their favorites. Now, I want to ask you, is there a favorite you have developed out of this draft class that you may have looked at pre-draft and is on the Giants right now, or a guy that you have fallen in love with post-draft? Yeah, that's a great question. I think for me, I'll dig, I mean, I, it, the, the answer would be McKinney if, if we were saying, but we just talked about McKinney, so I don't want to go dive any deeper into that. I really, you know, I've gotten really become a big fan of Pert and that upside, but for me, I'd go a little deeper and I'd say Carter Coughlin because I understand the limitations with Carter Coughlin. The guy obviously doesn't have the ideal arm length to play the to, that you would think you would need to play the edge. He obviously is a, is a more of an undersized edge type athlete, but I understand at least that I or at least from what I understand, Justin, the Giants are going to use these edge guys in specific spots and different roles based on downs and distance based on different down and distance. So you're never going to have to worry about Carter Coughlin setting the edge in the run game if he's playing the edge, because when he's going to be used on the edge, it's going to probably be either drop in coverage or to blitz the edge. And although he doesn't have the arm length that you want there, he plays with such a high motor and he's just such an underrated athlete that I really do believe that there's not much not to like there besides the besides that he doesn't have the ideal frame and arm length. 
So for me, he's a player who I really do, be- really who I really do believe can play early for the Giants, make an impact, and end up end up becoming somebody who they can build around and somebody who they found way late in the draft, hundreds of picks into the draft. So he's probably the one favorite that I've that I've come that I've uh, come to love uh, since they since the draft's been completed. Yeah, man, he's interesting. He just wreaks havoc, and those are the kind of guys I like taking a chance on in the seventh round and stuff. Not like. I'd rather instead of taking like a cookie cutter guy, like you know, give me some a guy who has production but might be undersized, or you probably can't find like the perfect role for him. So I, I like Carter Coughlin a lot. Now, a guy that does have the perfect size, Matt Parrott, the offensive tackle on the UConn. In fact, I found out about him when when Filato came on the show and he, he told me uh, he was one of the guys he wanted to talk about. What are your thoughts on him? I, like, do you do you think it's it's reasonable to expect him to be the starting right tackle in twenty twenty one? Because I like him, but there is some parts of his game where it's like, man, he's he's got to improve on that. That's not going to work at the next level. Yeah, it's an interesting question because I think what we have to factor in for sure is the truncated offseason. I mean, it's going to hurt a player like him who needs all the reps he can get, uh, especially, you know, just not only all the reps he can get, he needs to be able to make that jump a little bit easier when you're going from the level of competition he played at UConn to the level of competition he's going to play in the NFC East and with the Giants. So I still believe it's realistic because I just watch him and he's so smooth and I just figure a guy like that, there, there, like you said, there are times when you watch him and you and you break it down and you're like, okay, it's this is not a guy who is just dominant all the time against the comp- lower level of competition. We have to worry about the jump. There are some some issues in his game that he's going to have to work on. Everybody can understand that he's going to also have to put on some size. He's going to have to fill out that frame a little bit. But by 2021, if you know Mark Colombo is the offensive line up the upgraded offensive line coach that we expect him to be, or at least that I and me and Nick expect him to be, and I'm sure you guys do too. I mean, you can't do much worse than Hal Hunter. So <laughs> if, if there's any kind of significant upgrade there, I really do believe it's fair to believe uh, it's fair to assume that he can be the starter there. And then you have your two guys. You you recap that 13, 14, 15, whatever million dollars in cap space it is by by releasing Nate Solder, and you're on your way there, and you really are getting closer to building that foundational offensive line for your quarterback, who still will at that point only be year three of his rookie deal. Right. Yeah, he he's intriguing, man. Like you said, he just looks so smooth. Like you, the way he's able to like play the angles and get to linebackers and pull is like really impressive. Like you don't see that for a tackle, and you you could tell like he's a yes. basketball player who's playing football by by the way he does that. Now, another offensive lineman who, when I first watched him, like this guy's a seal of the draft. Now, you know when you watch a guy more, you're like okay, I could see why he he lasts a little bit. Shane Lemieux. So instead of just talking about him, what do you see happening at the center position? Now, obviously Lemieux. Probably not going to be the answer week one. But do you think Nick Gates is a reasonable – I know I've been beating that drum, and sometimes I feel like, eh, maybe I'm I'm completely off on it. I mean, what do you see happening at the center spot? I think I, I think I, I'm in the camp of liking Gate, Gates more for, for guard or tackle. Um, I, I understand. I, I think there's upside there. But if I'm going to bank on one of those longer shot centers for, for week one, like which is what you asked in the question – I would bank on Lemieux over 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 Gates in that regard, and you know, like you said, Lemieux is a guy to easily get excited about because when you watch him, you see you see what he he's always moving forward in the run game, so he's really fun to watch from that standpoint. But there there's definitely a little bit to worry about if you put him at center from a pass protection standpoint, and I think that adds some some significant risk to potentially starting in week one. 
if I had to put my chips down, unfortunately, and I say this unfortunately because that's how I feel about it, I do think Pulley will be the week one starter based on everything, you know, the truncated offseason and just how I think it's going to, how long I think it's going to take for these guys to get up to speed at that position, especially with a new system coming in. But it wouldn't shock me if that changed fast during the season because if they're going to run more power and gap, which I do really believe they're going to do, run under Garrett. It just doesn't make sense to have Spencer Pulley in there at all. And a guy like Lemieux really projects as a potential nice fit there. And Gates, I don't want to rule him out because, yeah, I see him. I, I like him better as a guard or tackle, but that doesn't mean that he can't transition to center and become a, a, a really strong player there. We've seen it happen plenty of times from both from both tackle and guard position. So I don't want to rule it out. But again, money money down. I'm going with Pulley for week one. Okay, and it'll be interesting. This I'm 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 banking on Jalapio be, to having a shot in camp, but I I don't know. I'm so out on Jalapio. I hate I'm out thing. on Pulley. That's the thing. Like I'm, I'm out, out on Pulley too. I'm out on both. I mean, I'm out on both to be honest. Yeah, I, I, it's a it's a Pulley by default. I I think I'll start. I'm not saying what I would do, even yeah. though you know I, it's hard to say what I would or wouldn't do. I I'm not in there watching practices, but. I, I certainly wouldn't go with Jalapeo. I, I I think he's extreme an extremely overrated giant, to be completely honest. Yeah, I think he falls in like the overrated, underrated like category for me, where it's like he's not good, but he gets a lot of hate too. But my biggest thing is like I don't know what the protections are, so it's hard for me to call him out. Now I will before yeah. I get the Justin for a center question, I think with Lemieux, like why it's I start off so excited with him. And Gettleman mentioned this too, is the first play you watch, you know, you always want to see the guy go against the best competition. And the first play is against Auburn, and he just lays the dude out with his first punch, and it's like, okay, whatever happens from here, like I'm on, I'm on board with this guy. So, it that was that was what like really grabbed me in with Lemieux. Yeah, I mean, that, I totally get it because that's basically what I did too as well. I mean, we'd be crazy, you know. We don't need to throw anything out there. This is not breaking new any kind of news here, Bobby, uh, to your fans, I'm sure, or to mine. Like I don't, I didn't, I wasn't very well versed with Shane Lemieux before the draft. Like there's no <laughs> shot. I'm knowing every single lineman in this draft, but like, like you just said, when I, when the giants drafted him, that was the first thing I saw from him as well, how well he did in that game. And, and he, he's a player who I really like the fact that he started so many games there in that it, at a big school with a big time quarterback, a team that was always in the top 10, always in the top 15, a team that really set the tone on offense by running the ball to, in my opinion, to a fault. I don't really think that was the best system for Justin Herbert, but it was the system they used and it was a run heavy run first system. He was a perfect guard for them in that system. And so I, it's hard to not get excited about him. Like I said, because when you watch him in the run game, he's so exciting, but I, there are certainly some limitations from a lateral movement standpoint that could come just completely derail him in pass protection. I'm not going to say that will happen, but there's at least a non-zero chance that he could be a, an immediate liability in pass protection. So for that reason alone, I probably wouldn't bank my money on him starting week one at center, but that's the long-term upside for sure, getting either him or Gates in there at center. Yeah, I know Justin has a center question. I keep cutting him off. But I will. I want to make the comment. It's it's always funny, you know, pre-draft. Like, you know, you guys put in a ton of work in. We feel like we put a ton of work in. And it's just funny how unpredictable it is. Like, you know, McKinney, we're like, all right, let's not look at McKinney. That's movie wasting our time looking at him. Um, and then the guard spot, like, no way we draft a guard, but we'll, we'll look at one guard each. And then we end up getting a guard and McKinney and then all other kinds of surprising things. So it's always funny how much work you put in for pre-draft and you get, like, two. Like, you've only looked at, like, two of the ten guys they end up with. 
Yeah, no, it's, it, it really does feel that way. There's, there's been so few drafts where the, the players that I wanted the Giants or that I thought the Giants would target or wanted them to target actually ended up being targeted. I remember Will Hernandez was certainly one of them, and Lorenzo Carter was another. So I felt super excited about that draft for that reason alone. Um, but, you know, it's so rare. You're right. Now, Dan, I've been a listener of Big Blue Banter for a little while. And number one, it doesn't surprise me to hear that you're not the biggest Jalapio fan. But also number two, <laughs> it also doesn't surprise me to hear that, you know, you think maybe not week one, but Lemieux might have the higher upside. And if I'm reading you correctly and if I know you correctly and if I'm a big blue banter fan, if I'm a good fan, I know that it's play strength. And I know that's a phrase that you haven't maybe haven't used yet. Um, so is it Lemieux's play strength maybe over Gates that entices you a little bit more because he's just he's that big strong dude and he and he's already an interior lineman versus Gates who's a tackle you know the interior offensive lineman they're always putting up bigger bench press numbers than the tackles do anyway so is that part of like your line of thinking if and especially am I am I reading you correctly in that regard yeah you're definitely reading me correctly and that's not you know me and Nick aren't uh, on a one to one page with that because you know I I understand the value of having a, a pass first center, a pass blocking first center. And it's really important. But I also think that, that can, you can accomplish, even with just an adequate or above adequate pass production, you can accomplish a lot more with a center who has, like you just said, really good functional play strength, especially if they're going to move, like I, like we talked about, to more power and gap blocking. Like They're going to need somebody at the point of attack who can really th- you know, thump with them. And that would be, yeah, you, you nailed it. The, one of the reasons I, I see the upside there is because he just seems like somebody who can set the tone there for the team. And I know everyone's going to go crazy when I say this because you know, why would you prioritize the run game? What do you, why do I give a crap about somebody who would be better <laughs> maybe in the run game? But regardless of what people will say, and even myself, I'm not a huge fan of running the ball and stopping the run, specifically stopping the run, but running the ball as well. But the Giants are headed in that direction no matter what, and there are teams who have headed down this direction and who have done fine on offense. You guys did a good job breaking it down. Everybody's done a good job breaking it down. The Ravens, I mean, this is a list that goes on and on. And if they're going to be this power gap run team that's going to set the tone in the run game, then I do, really do believe they need a center who will kind of fit that, that mindset and that billing. Now let's move to some skill position talks, and I know how much you've been uh, you've been getting into some people with some about wide receivers. So I want to ask you this question: This wide receiver class it was pretty stacked, and I know I was a big fan out of a guy like Tyler Johnson out of Minnesota, Jawan Jennings out of Tennessee as a later in the draft option. Are you okay with not taking a wide receiver in this class, considering the players we drafted, while also evaluating who is on the wide receiver depth chart right now? Yeah, sure. So for me, my blueprint was to draft into the strength of this class. I believe that pretty much at all times, I'm going to be in the same mindset of draft to the strength of the class. And to me, I saw the strength of the class offensive tackle and wide receiver. So for me, I really thought that they should and would target a wide receiver or two on day three. Now, it didn't end up happening. And for me, the reason I'm not disappointed with any of that, Justin, is because I really do like every everything they did on day three. It's like, you know, you can talk about right at the top there with Darnay Holmes, a pick that's probably been the most criticized day three pick. And to me, it's my favorite pick of all the day three picks. So I just can't find too much I don't like about the direction they did go. I already talked about I'm really excited about Carter Coughlin. 
I see the upside with with Lemieux. I like the fact that Cam Brown is another guy who they can fit into different situations on on different based on different down and distances on the defensive side of the ball. So for me, it just kind of didn't work out in in the direction where they did end up going receiver. And the the added value to actually skipping out on the wide receiver uh, wide receiver class in the draft at least is that they did get a chance at. What's obviously, quite obviously, just by deduction, you can figure anyone can figure this one out a stacked UDFA class at the wide receiver position. Because if it's stacked in the draft, that means it's going to be a stacked UDFA class. So I like some of the guys they got there. I think that, you know, I was a huge fan of Tyler Johnson as well. Don't get me wrong. But it could end up being negligible really with those with those day three picks at wide receiver versus the UDFAs. You just don't know once it gets that deep. And there's a reason why a guy like at least. There, there has to be a reason why a guy like Tyler Johnson is continuing to fall like that um, for all 32 teams, not just the Giants. Yeah, you mentioned Darnay Holmes. And, you know, the first game I watched him is against Washington State. And you're like, what? Like, we took this guy? Yeah. And then you watched him against Oklahoma in 2018. And he just, like, is step for step with Hollywood Brown the whole game, playing him the entire route tree. What do you see happening with him? And at the moment of recording this, we don't know what's going to happen with Baker. Like, do you think he'll be all right if he's, like, pushed in there a little too quickly? So, for me, it's funny you bring that up, Bobby, because this is, like, almost the exact same conversation I had with Nick. And I actually have somebody who – I'm good friends with somebody who used to work uh, in UCLA football and kind of is still around a lot of people there. And so he gave me a lot of great insight on Darnay Holmes. And it's funny because Nick said the same thing when he threw on – I believe it was that exact game that you mentioned, Bobby. He was like, what the hell is going on here? But one thing that's really important to understand about Darnay Holmes is that he suffered a really bad ankle injury in week two of his 2019 season, and he was just never the same. And I'm a big believer in being injury, injury agnostic. I, it was a, one of the main reasons I thought that the Giants should should have targeted um, – wow, now I'm blanking on his name. I can't believe it. From my, from my alma mater. Uh, I don't know. It's been such a – it's been such Tyler a long Tyler Beatass. Yes, Beatass. called him Tyler Beat That Ass. Yeah, Tyler Biotis, it's one of the main reasons I thought that they should should have drafted Tyler Biotis because you're getting the injury discount. You're, people are basing it on the last season while they're playing hurt and there's worst game tape out there. And that was the same case with Darnay Holmes. Like you said, you throw on his 2018 game tape and he just looked awesome out there. He looked like a legit boundary lockdown quarterback. Now, I don't think he can really play the boundary consistently at the NFL level based on his size. And I think that's fair to assume, but... For me, actually, I, I this has one of been been one of my big things since the draft, Bobby. I would say that I I'm feeling really, really, really good, and Justin about the chances of Darnay Holmes becoming a key player on this defense right away in that nickel in that nickel cornerback position because you look at the roster right now and people said, oh, that wasn't a need pick, that was a luxury pick. Really, is that the case? Because if they didn't draft him, who the hell was going to play nickel? Uh, and for the snaps that McKinney was in the deep half or playing somewhere else, who the hell was going to play that nickel position? Because sure as hell wasn't going to be Corey Ballantine. He's an outside cornerback who did not look anywhere near comfortable playing nickel, and I don't think he'd play it this year. Grant Haley was really tough, a really tough alley defender against the run, but just cannot hold up with the slot vertical uh, as, as a nickel cornerback. And in the NFL these days, the slot vert is how teams are winning consistently over and over and over again. And so that's why I really feel it's super important to have a cornerback who can run step for step on these slot verticals. And I really feel confident that Darnay Holmes can be that guy. So that's for me, it's factoring in the need of finding that nickel corner who can, again, carry the slot vert and also just 
locked down against those slot receivers that are oftentimes the guys who get the ball in those th- key third down situations. To me, that's a major need. And because of that, and based on that, plus his talent, plus what I saw in 2018, and the and the and you know his character, what what the kid's going to bring to the table from that standpoint, I'm just very very excited about the pick. Okay, I I have um a question. I want to back up, but before that, what about Julian Love? Um, do you think he has nickel ability? Because I mean, I remember when Jul- Julian Love last year, I, was, I liked him a lot. But with Baker and and Janoris Jenkins on the team, like okay, he's going to play nickel, and then they play him the safety. Do you think he has an opportunity to play corner, whether it's nickel or outside? I think a lot is honestly going to depend on what happens with DeAndre Baker because it seems like they were grooming him for one role last year in his rookie season, and then we finally got to see it ha- come on, come alive a bit down the stretch after you know it took him some time, I'm sure, to learn it from basically scratch in mini- in OTAs and whatnot through and, and kind of go through that progression. But if Baker's not on the roster that could change things fast because the depth chart gets much, much more thin on the boundary. If Baker's not on the roster, now you're counting on maybe Ballantine. Now you're counting on maybe Sam Beal, who hasn't been able, hasn't really been able to fight off injuries for most of his career. Um, and again, Ballantine's a guy who has a lot of fanfare. A lot of giants fans are excited about him, but remember he was a very, very late day three pick. I mean, this is not somebody who we can totally bank on these day three picks don't often hit. And and I know I, I'm saying that in the same breath after getting so excited about Darnay Holmes, but for me, <laughs> Darnay Holmes is an easy, easy day two pick, maybe day one if he's six foot one, and I don't I don't doubt that for one minute. So I, it's a little bit different there for me. So yeah, I would say with love, a lot is going to depend on the DeAndre Baker situation. Right now, I want to back up uh, Ashton Davis. You, you know, you loved him. I liked him a lot too. Now he was taken with the Leonard Williams trade pick. Did that just eat at you when you saw him go with that pick? You know what? It was even worse for me because I felt like from everything I've heard, they were going to try to make a move to get Bon. If if they if that if that scenario had played out, they were going to try to make if they still had that pick, they're going to try to make a move with it to get Bon. From what I've heard, I heard that Bon was on their radar, and they and if they had traded back and the pick they used with McKinney, they would have taken Bon with that pick, and I was just. A massive Zach Bond fan, but as far as how it goes, I mean, I I wasn't regretting it once they took McKinney because, I, I, you know, they're different players who can play different roles. But I don't think you you needed to go Davis and McKinney in this draft. Yeah, and speaking of hearing things, uh, someone had told me they're going to go Yitor Gross Matos at the thirty six pick, and I know you got into it with the Tino, and I was just so that's one thing that got me excited about McKinney. I was like, I was mentally preparing for him. And I was like, this guy doesn't fit. I don't even really like him even if he did fit. So yeah, it's funny. It's funny. Uh, how, how draft day ends up going. Yeah, uh, it was, it was gross Matos and it was, um, AJ Epinesa who just yeah. you know, thought, I mean, Epinesa is an even worse fit for this defense than, than gross Matos. <laughs> At least gross Matos can rush the, I mean, gross Matos wouldn't have been the, he's not going to be the best fit, but he wouldn't have been the worst fit ever. And he's got a lot of upside, but Neither of those players were even – it didn't seem like either of those players were factored in at all. And it doesn't really make sense from everything we've heard from Joe Judge, too. He wants players who can play more than one role. You know, one of so. my favorite sayings uh, from this draft, Dan, um, you know, I, this this was pretty much my first draft process where I really went in depth. Sure. And one of my favorite phrases is, you can't, you can never be wrong about upside. You can never <laughs> be wrong. So yeah, you're I, right. I just, you know – Whenever, whenever you're not sure, this guy's got a lot of upside. That would yeah, be that's, no, that, that's the go-to line. So we've talked Holmes, we've talked McKinney. Giants have obviously signed, obviously have signed Bradbury. 
I like to look at trends. I like to have like these macro conversations. So teams like the Pats and the Chiefs, they've been investing in secondary pieces and sacrificing some edge rushing pieces while building up their defenses and overall improving. Uh, I remember you writing last year how Gettleman investing in, and correct me if I'm wrong, you know, writing how Gettleman investing in this secondary is very forward thinking of him. Now, is that stance still the same? Because I know a lot of Giants fans were used to, you know, these 4-3 defensive end or just these edge rushers in general. You know, pass rush is going to be the thing that gets us to these championships. But the league is kind of trended in towards a different direction. And you can make an argument that the Giants have kind of followed that blueprint that the league has set since it's a passing league. Do you agree with kind of like this blueprint that the Giants are setting with investing in the secondary and, you know, possibly ignoring the pass rush a little bit? Do you agree with that kind of stance? Do you think it's forward thinking of them? Yeah, Justin, it's an excellent question. You got excellent memory because you are correct. I did write an article about this. Um, and it's really leveraging through analytics, which no one would expect. It's under Dave Gettleman to do. And I, this is this, you know, the Patriots are a good example. You mentioned a couple examples there, but this started with the Ravens, actually. And the Ravens have been doing this for the longest of any team. It's different with the Patriots, I should say. I should just make a note of this. It's different with the Patriots because they have their own different way that their own way of defense that really uses so many different players on the second and third levels of the defense that it's hard to pin them down into one, one, you know, in one bubble there. But this has been going on with the Ravens, with the Patriots and teams that are starting to prioritize the secondary. And I'm on board with it because guess what? Yeah. The Giants fans can be super happy and super nostalgic about all those teams that won with the pass rush. And the pass rush is still going to be important on any third and long situation. But most, if you look at a spray chart, this is what really sold me on this. I, I once saw, and I'm trying, I've been trying to find this since, but I haven't found this tweet since. It, it was a spray chart of all attempted NFL passes over the last, I think it was two seasons. It was two seasons worth of data. And if you look at this spray chart, it is insane to see how many passes were attempted in the zero to seven yard range. You would never expect it. It's so, it's like, so, it looks so exaggerated, but it was the truth. It's hard data. And quarterbacks and NFL offenses are now designed to get rid of the ball fast. And if you're designed to get rid of the ball fast, I don't see how it could be more important to have somebody who can rush the passer. It's going to take a little bit longer than one and a half, two seconds to get to the Pats quarterback rather than someone who can stay in phase and coverage and make a play on the ball once it gets out of the quarterback's hand. So I'm definitely a big believer in what they're doing there. And it's definitely one of the reasons why I've really stayed, you know, most people who, some people call me a negative analyst of the Giants. Some people call me a positive analyst of the Giants. I can't seem to ever get it right. That means you are doing it right. (laughs) (laughs) I can't seem to ever get it right from that standpoint, but I'm just trying to call it like I see it. And for me, maybe it's too overly optimistic, but I love the direction they're headed in by prioritizing players in the secondary and the second level, which they've done a better job of recently reviving that second level rather than those big edge guys paying one big edge guy, something like that. That's music to my ears as someone who's trying to get into analytics and also just the Giants haven't been a successful football team in recent years, so I've been trying to ask myself the question of what are other teams doing that the Giants aren't doing? And, you know, part of the thing that actually has intersected with what the Giants are doing, what other teams are doing, is investing in the secondary. So hopefully it pays dividends this year. Some guys can take the jump up and some guys that maybe uh, we may not be expecting a lot from, maybe they can take a jump up and maybe we can get lucky. But I want to ask you uh, kind of like kind of just a personal question because I know you've recently, since the last time, you know, Bobby's talked to you and I've talked to you, uh, you're, at a new, you're at a new position, you're at a new job. 
So uh, I kind of like these questions more than I actually like talking football. So you're at 24-7 Sports. Now you're at CBS Sports. Talk to us about you know how maybe that transition's been going and how CBS Sports has been. I mean, you're, Dan, you're, you're getting you're getting the big bucks now. So tell us tell us how that is and tell that uh, tell us how that transition's been going. Unfortunately, I'm still not getting the big bucks um, <laughs> anywhere close to them. But definitely a, a, a position with a lot more responsibility um, and a lot more of a, uh, kind of a, a different. So for 24/7, you know. Anyone who knows 24-7 knows that their model is just kind of a content farm. You know, we were plugging seven, eight, ten articles a day, running all the Facebook there, all the social media, doing videos for the Facebook to improve engagement, writing, doing newsletters, all that. And a lot of that has changed moving over from CBS because I'm no longer a writer. I'm now an editor. So my job responsibilities are completely different. It's a lot more managerial. It's a lot more, um, you know, planning things and, and working with the writers to get the type of content we want in every single piece and content ideas, things of that nature, and organizing a lot of the plan for attack for us at CBS Sports. So a lot of that is pretty cool. I've never been a part of that. Oh, you know, I'd be lying if I said I didn't sort of miss the day-to-day coverage of the New York Giants from a content standpoint, writing about it, putting my spin on any of the news or anything that go- anything that's going down. But at the same time, I'm really happy with the change, um, and I'm really happy with the role. And it's 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 a lot better being at a company that for the first time, I really do feel like understands and appreciates what I have to offer to the company um, and what and, you know, the time, the work, everything that I'm putting in. And I don't necessarily know that I felt that way at my previous two gigs with 24-7 and Fox Sports. So the, that alone has made it just an awesome experience for me to, to make that switch. Yeah, man, it's been a uh, fun following you. You know, I just dove into this last year and kind of head first, not knowing what I'm doing. And I still don't know what I'm doing. Yeah, neither do I. That's what I always say, Bobby. I always say I'm learning along the way. There's still so much more for me to learn. I have so much more to learn uh, from an X's and O's standpoint. I, and that's all I'm trying to do. I'm never going to say I know everything. And I, you know, I hate when people do that. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, having people like you that bounce things off, you know, even for auto, um, you know, the, the more you get bigger, the more it's like, okay, you got to be careful with what you say, man. And, uh, you know, it's like when I put out yeah. like a, a voiceover, it's like, you know, make sure this is right, or Carl Banks is going to tell you how dumb you are, uh, <laughs> and stuff like that. Um, and you know he will. I know, and that's why we, we, we're trying to get Carl along. I want to call him out on it because I love Carl. But yeah, it's it's been fun, and I always enjoy the the Twitter the Twitter stuff because it just like at the end of the day, it's like this: we're just a bunch of people typing into a keyboard, and we get heated sometimes. And then I'll I'll look back two days later at like stuff I like tweeted. It's like. What are you doing, man? Like this is embarrassing. It's just oh, it's I've had those moments as well. Goes, um, you know, it's like, what are you arguing about with this guy with nine followers for? It's like he's <laughs> obviously just trying to get a rise out of you. But it's I been gotta fun. Give you the, I got to give you the 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 uh, before. I don't want to cut you off, but I got to give you the ultimate tip for Twitter. Do it. And I just started doing it this year. After oh, I wish I had been doing this for months and years. And I started it around. I guess it was the second day of the draft. Start muting people. Start muting. I didn't want to have to do it, and I'll never block people. Start muting people. It makes your life so much better. What you don't know is so much easier. As I, I'm a big, you know me. I mean, I'm I'm a lot like you in that sense. I don't. I didn't. I don't like when people say put words in my mouth or say something based on what I say. So I always like to. I I always have this tendency to want to correct them when they're putting words in my mouth or saying something stupid that is not true that I'm not saying at all. So. For a while, I did that. I responded to all those, and I still respond to some. 
But that mute button, man, whew, what a blessing in disguise that thing is because you just mute them and you never, you never, it never even happens. Well, my problem is I do mute some people, Dan, but because we can get, I can get a little over the board sometimes. Well, that we, we, we attract these rabid fans who make like parody accounts of us ourselves. So I I'll saw that. Them. <laughs> Go on. I'll have to even DM these guys and be like, hey, cool it with this. Like, you're starting to work like people are starting to, are going to think we're weirdos, which we are. But um, was I have this this rabid fo- follower base that replies to it, and I I have I I I don't have the self control to not click view tweet when I see they're replying to someone I muted. But yeah, I do yeah. agree that muting, and I've even I've even blocked a few people lately. It's like you know what, all you do is say negative things about me, so why are you even on my page? Oh, <laughs> I've even blocked a few people, but I try I try to stay away from it. Yeah, that's funny. I, I didn't want to cut you off, but I recently randomly on Twitter saw that somebody had a Justin Panic. Uh, Justin, I saw somebody had a parody account of you, which I thought was unbelievably yeah. funny. <laughs> like a, um, like computer two, folk or something. A, yeah, computer. I th- now here's the thing: <laughs> computer folk Panic is actually putting out some good content. Yeah, but also, but also he's interacting with people, which I don't know how I feel about that because it's like. <laughs> It's me with the mohawk haircut, and uh, it's just it's 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 insane. It's getting a little crazy. Well, that's how you, know you guys are big time. You got a par- you got parody accounts na- uh, after you named after. I was you. talking with somebody because they like they're like, "What is this?" And I was like, "Don't I was like if you interact, they're gonna make one of you too." So so we're like, <laughs> it's, it's it's fun. But Dan, uh, you know, everyone can follow you at Dan Snyder NFL. We'll obviously tag you and everything. And you know, there's probably not many people following us that aren't already following you. Thanks again for coming on, man. It's always fun to get you on. I'm sure this one will do big numbers. We appreciate you. Yeah, no, it's awesome. I love jumping on to talk football with you guys anytime. I'd love to do it again. And all I will say, signing off, is if you guys haven't checked out the Big Blue Banter podcast and you do enjoy this podcast, Talking Giants, I think you should definitely give it a shot because we're cut from the same cloth. It's two podcasts that are doing X's and O's type analysis based on the work we're putting in factoring in analytics, factoring in game tape, factoring in it all at a level that, quite frankly, I don't really see from the beats. And I'm not saying that to knock the beats at all. I'm really not. They have access to the team. They have sources. They have things that we don't have. But if you're just simply looking for X and O's analysis of why things are happening with the Giants, not what's happening with the Giants, I would certainly say keep it locked and loaded on Talking Giants and on Big Blue Banter because those are the two that I think are going to deliver that for you. Well, I'll say don't listen to his podcast because I'm I'm not trying to lose my audience to you guys. You guys <laughs> yeah. good stuff. That's the thing, though. That's the good thing. <laughs> fans are just ra- these fans are rabid fans, so you know they'll listen to anything. I appreciate. <laughs> yeah, they listen to us, so that that proves. But no, that. what I'm saying is they're gonna if they're listening to you, they're gonna listen to us too because they obviously like diehard football fan, and there's yep. enough time to listen to both of us for sure. For sure. Yeah. All right. Thanks again, Dan. Yeah, no doubt. Great time uh, chatting you guys as always. I'm not confident in my ability to be likable. All right. Thanks again, Dan Snyder, for coming on. Make sure to go follow him. He's always a good guest, Justin. Justin, you had him on Bleeding Blue. He he came on Talking Giants last year. We had like a really good Daniel Jones conversation, which I think is still like would be a good one to go listen to. I think it was almost it's probably like 11 months ago or so. That was a fun one. Um, so if you're bored and you don't have something to listen to, go check that out. But Dan's always you know good to have on. Yeah, and why I really like this conversation, obviously, you know, we we officially squeezed out all of the draft content we could possibly get on this podcast, but I also liked how we brought in 
Patrick Graham's defense. I thought it really put a bow on even Anthony Tomatoes and I's half of an episode that we had last week, where a lot of Dan Schneier's observations, it kind of matched Anthony Tomatoes and I's observations, which was kind of nice. It it, it made us feel good about yeah, that. No big deal. And 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 yours and yours. But also right. we even talked some uh we even talked some like trends of the league. I really like that question where Dan was, you know, are, are the Giants heading in the right direction in terms of their prioritizing their secondary? And, you know, he brought up an article that he wrote like last year. And, you know, it, it was it was a good uh, overall all around versatile conversation that we had, not just about the draft. So that's why I kind of really enjoyed that little uh, that little interview that we did there. So thank you once again, Dan Schneier. And don't listen to his podcast. I'm, I'm, <laughs> we're not trying to lose listeners. Do not listen. Dan's listeners, come on over. Be a part of us. Listen to both. But if you're a part, if you're a listener talking to Josh, you never heard of their podcast. Don't listen to it because the problem is you're probably you're probably gonna you're probably gonna like it, and I'm gonna be pissed off. All right, it's too smart. That's the show. Leave us a five star review. By the way, there's this guy who keeps leaving us a one star review. He keeps writing these like these mean and hurtful reviews. And my man keeps listening. What's wrong with you? What's what's? Do you have his name pulled up, or do you remember it, Justin? It's it's Giants Blue. The ironic thing is, is that he left a five star review on Bleeding Blue. Now watch, he's gonna go and leave a one star review now. But uh, but yeah, really, anytime you see somebody saying that, oh yeah, uh, Panic wants to work for the team and things like that. Yeah, yeah, Maya or, or no, this was the thing that got me. Uh, Panic just copies uh, the beat reporters. Yeah. My my in-depth analysis and my uh, criminal justice degree, uh, where I went in-depth on DeAndre Baker and, and all that crap, uh, that's definitely me just copying what the beat reporters are saying. So uh, leave some five-star reviews to get that one-star review out of there, even even if yeah. you haven't left one in a while. Uh, you, you can refresh your review um, to that get, guy get that one-star out of there. Usually the one-star reviews, I'm like, all right, well, you know, one-star is better than no stars, but... That one just annoyed me. It's like, dude, stop listening. Why are you still listening at this point? All right, that's the show. We appreciate you guys. We'll be back Friday. Unless there's some huge news, we're going to do our our 53-man roster. Not predictions, but what we would do. And a way too early look at 2021 free agency. So we're going to get those two gimmicky topics out of the way all in one episode because we love you guys. We'll see you then. Until then, let's go Big Blue.